Hello, and welcome back to One Conversation, the podcast where we believe one conversation can change a life. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to hit the follow button. Also, give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy today's episode. Hello, listeners. It's Lisa here flying solo. And today we are going to talk about a common issue in unhealthy and abusive relationships that personally I do not think is talked about enough. So we are going to be chatting about reactive abuse. And this is a really complex issue to talk about because there are different types of reactive abuse and it really brings on a whole network of hurt, shame, and guilt for the victim who starts exhibiting reactive abusive behaviors. And personally, I have been through this in past relationships, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later. So we are going to break this down. We're going to define it, uh, shed some light on how and when this happens. And we're also going to talk about some considerations or ways to recognize if this is going on in a relationship. And before getting into the thick of it, I just want to say also that although reactive abuse is a recognized term, we could just as easily say self-defense as that is what reactive abuse really is. So let's start with a definition. Reactive abuse occurs when the victim reacts to the abuse that they are experiencing. The victim may scream, toss out insults, or even lash out physically at the abuser. The abuser then retaliates by telling the victim that they are, in fact, the abuser. So just to put this in a little bit deeper context, if you listen to our episode, The Four Fs of Trauma, you'll know that our common responses to traumatic incidents are either fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. So in dangerous or threatening situations, whether that's danger to our physical safety, if someone's experiencing physical abuse, or danger to our mental safety, if someone is screaming at us or belittling us, A common response may be to fight back. So perhaps that's physically fighting back for self-defense purposes, or maybe beginning to yell or say things they typically wouldn't to stick up for themselves in that moment. So this is often a common manipulation tactic that places blame for the abuse on the victim. It's commonly seen in tandem with gaslighting, so the abuser can kind of rewrite the script, so to speak, and take the role as the victim in abusive situations. And it's also commonly seen in situations with narcissists, as they have a tendency to shift blame elsewhere when confronted with their abusive or unhealthy behaviors. And I just want to make another big disclaimer here um, as well, and I've actually taken this directly from Break the Cycle, which is a nationally recognized domestic violence resource center. Many victims begin to ask themselves, am I an abuser now that I've reacted that way? And the answer is no. If both parties in a relationship were abusers, this would be known as mutual abuse. And interestingly enough, from what we know about the power and control dynamics of domestic violence relationships, it would be almost impossible to be in a mutual abuse relationship because the power and control dynamics would have to be evenly distributed. Many experts believe that mutual abuse is either extremely rare or does not exist. Um, The school of thought is that there's going to be one primary abuser in the relationship. And a big keyword here is react. 
So that is the difference between reactive and mutual abuse. Because if the victim is reacting to the abuse that's brought on by the abuser, um, you know, really we know it's all about intention when it comes to defining abuse. So if you're reacting out of self-safety or self-preservation and you're not trying to gain power and control over your partner's life, this is simply reactionary behavior. Okay, so that's a big distinction there. I just want to put that out first and foremost. But understandably, reactive abuse can cause a lot of shame and guilt for the victim. And of course, it's not okay to scream, yell, or rage at someone else. But if you're pushed past your limits and your capacity to cope, this causes emotional dysregulation, which can lead to a blow up. And you may feel totally out of character, out of control, or not even recognize yourself in that moment which can cause you to feel ashamed uh, or guilty because you're thinking, this isn't me. That's not how I react. And I did mention before that reactions can come from physical or verbal abuse, but emotional dysregulation, it can also come from systemic invalidation, manipulation, or passive aggressiveness or provocation from the abuser as well. So in reality, even if an abuser doesn't raise their voice at the victim, but perhaps they're constantly gaslighting, putting them down, or saying things that they know would provoke or upset them, that can cause reactive abuse to occur as well. So in reality, abusers aren't so much affected by reactive abuse. In fact, it typically works in their favor for a few reasons. Abusers can thrive off of the fact that the victim is now questioning themselves, questioning their integrity, their character, and that can make it a lot easier for the abuser to control the narrative of the relationship dynamic. It can also act as a tool for the abuser to minimize their own actions by saying, well, what you did was worse, or that reaction was completely uncalled for because what I did wasn't as bad as compared to how you reacted to it. We know that minimization is a huge tactic in domestic violence relationships, and the minimization in these situations can be more impactful for the victim as they feel very wrong or guilty about how they reacted in the moment. Also, reactive abuse can be seen or used as a type of of get-out-of-jail-free card. Whether the abuser uses the reactive abuse to justify their own behavior, or it can make the victim feel either too afraid or unable to seek help or report the abuse out of fear that they're going to be seen as the abuser and face consequences. Or over time, the reactive partner may begin to believe that they're the abusive party and that they're the issue in the relationship. All of these factors are dangerous due to the fact that this may cause a victim to feel too afraid to report abuse, too afraid to leave a relationship, or they may begin to even form a trauma bond with their partner since they believe they can't leave out of fear that their partner is going to report what they've done. So how do we recognize reactive abuse? Let's talk about some of the most common signs that this is occurring. The first sign is the feeling of being pushed to your limits. And this feeling may come up often enough to give you a general feeling like you can or will lash out at any moment. You may feel like the tension and stress has you in this heightened fight trauma response state, almost like you would feel you need to protect yourself or act in self-defense at any moment. 
the abuser may be purposefully pushing you to your breaking point to elicit a reaction. I think an easy context to kind of understand this um, will be looking at the scenario of a child being bullied. So let's say a child's being bullied at school. They are constantly being belittled by um, a student in their class. They're being pushed around by this person. They're being antagonized. And over time, that victim child begins to feel at wit's end and feels more uneasy and reactive throughout the day because of the situation. Their parasympathetic nervous system is internalizing all of the stress from the bullying, and that may lead the victim to finally lash out at that bully, either physically or verbally, because the stress of it really had them at their wit's end. And that kind of leads us into our second sign, which is not recognizing yourself or uncharacteristic behavior. You may start to feel confused or question who you are since the reactive abuse happened. Because you know that in your core, that behavior does not reflect who you are. And this can create what psychologists call cognitive dissonance, which is a person's behavior and beliefs that no longer align. Essentially, their actions just don't match up with their core values. And here's where I'm going to get into a little story time about my own experience with reactive abuse. And I've actually talked on a few episodes about one of my past uh, violent, unhealthy relationships. So ongoing listeners will recognize parts of the story for sure. But just in case there's any new listeners out there, um, this was my first meaningful relationship with a partner. We ended up living together. I was pretty young at the time. I was only about 17. And my partner had been through some pretty difficult circumstances. Uh, before I met him, he was an addict. He sold drugs. And he had gotten clean before we met. But in the process, he lost almost everyone in his life. Um, he had either written off old friends that were still using uh, to stay away from that lifestyle. And his friends and family uh, had written him off after years of lies, uh, the hardships that he had put them through while he was using. So at the point we met, um, he really only had me. And he isolated me pretty quickly from my friends, who I was really close to at the time. I would spend like every single day after school with this particular group of friends. Uh, he started fights with my best friend and manipulated me a lot. So I felt bad going anywhere without him or spending time with anyone else, um, kind of turned me against some of my friends because of all the manipulation going on. So once I was like isolated with him and really alone, that's when things really escalated. Because in the beginning of the isolation phase, there were some, you know, red flag moments and some kind of verbal things that weren't okay and some psychological things. But as soon as everyone else was gone, um, my friends were out of the picture, it really just kind of kicked up a notch. Um, so the physical abuse slowly developed over time. It started with things like, um, like pushing my head, putting his you know hand on my forehead, pushing my head back if I said something he didn't like. Um, we, if we were fighting and I tried to leave the room or turn and walk away, he would grab my arm with pretty significant force, um, to where, you know, I'd get like bruises on my arm, um, shoving me around a little bit. Um, I remember even a time of us being in kind of like a heated conversation. Um, and I was kind of like staring off into the distance and just trying to keep myself calm. Um, and when he recognized I wasn't making eye contact with him anymore, he 
grabbed me by my hair, um, kind of right at the root, and kind of pushed my head back um, so he could talk and, I mean, yell um, directly in my face. So because all this was like a progression over time, um, you know, I, I didn't think it was okay. But at the same time, I was kind of like learning to live with it as it came um, because it just kind of continued to escalate. So it really um, all came to a head when we got into a really heated argument. And I will never forget this moment. Um, We were arguing and, you know, during this conversation, he got louder and louder. Uh, His face became like bright red as he was yelling at me, saying pretty terrible things And the next thing I know, he was like clenching his teeth together, shaking, and stepped towards me while he clenched his fist and raised his arm up like he was getting ready to hit me. And in this moment, um, after being, you know, terrified and yelled at and seeing this aggressive posture, um, and also, you know, knowing like how physical things were getting, I, it was like I didn't even have time to think about my reaction. And suddenly I raised my hand up and slapped him across the face. And I mean, it was hard enough that like immediately there was a red print on his cheek. And I remember the two of us like standing there in shock about the entire situation. Like I was in shock that this had even unfolded. Um, I was in shock for what I had just done. And in that moment, like he dropped his fist and just stared at me like stunned. Um, And it honestly felt like time stood still for a moment as we were both just looking at each other with our jaws dropped. Um, In my head, I was kind of thinking like, oh my gosh, like, what did I do? That was not my character, but also like, I could be in a really dangerous situation now that I've done that if he wanted to retaliate. Um, I mean, thankfully, he did not retaliate against me. Um, He just had some really choice words and stormed out the door. And I'll I'll just never forget that feeling of just absolute disbelief that I had just done that. And after he left, I just sat frozen and pretty much in shock um, that that all just happened. And, you know, I had never in my life reacted that way. It's not who I was. I mean, even like the arguing, the yelling was not me. I just thought in that moment, like, I don't even know who I am right now. I was so ashamed. I felt so guilty. I felt like a terrible person. And I mean, in reality, I was acting in self-defense. I'm not saying it's okay to ever hit anyone, but I now recognize that my response was a trauma response and it was acted out in self-preservation. So I just wanted to like tell that story and get a little vulnerable with you guys because, you know, I think real life context like that helps paint a better picture of how this can happen. So the next sign we're going to talk about is evidence collection. So an abuser may push their partner to the point of a reaction. And when it happens, maybe that's when they take out their phone and start to record this as evidence that, you know, this, this person's unstable, they're violent, they're irrational. That way they can threaten the victim that, you know, if they want to report abuse, they can say like, well, Hey, I have that video of you doing X, Y, or Z. So go ahead, tell them whatever you want, but I have video or audio evidence against you. The abuser may also antagonize or provoke their partner in public settings or around friends and family. That way, if their partner does react, uh, you know, they have witnesses there that can vouch for the abuser in the future. 
For instance, let's say the abuser physically abuses their partner and they react and hit their abuser back. Well, the abuser can flip the script with friends and family and say, you know, they provoked the whole thing. They were hitting me. So I hit them once just to, you know, act out of self-defense or get them to stop. I mean, you all saw when they did X, Y, or Z to me that time we were out. Um, So, you know, you can see how volatile they are towards me. And this can make others feel and believe like the problem is coming from the reactive partner. Like I mentioned in the beginning, flipping the script on the reactive partner can be such a big component of this. So to kind of piggyback off of that, our last sign is abuser victimization. So the abuser may take on the role of victim after reactive abuse occurs. Perhaps they begin to act weak or powerless compared to their partner when they usually are acting dominating and powerful. Acting like the victim shows that the abuser got the reaction that they wanted because now they can control the narrative and essentially have more control over their partner. So how can we mitigate reactive abuse? First and foremost, if we recognize reactive abuse in our relationship, it's so crucial that we get the support that we need. Talking to a trained domestic violence advocate about the relationship and how to keep yourself safe if you're planning on staying or how to leave the situation as safely as possible is such an important thing to do. Uh, And we do have an episode called post-separation abuse and how to stay or leave safely that gives a lot more insight into safely exiting an abusive relationship. Um, We also have an episode talking about safety planning as well if you are considering leaving. So I'm going to have both of those mentioned down in the description for you guys to find a little bit easier. Also in the description is going to be Live Violence Freeze Crisis Line for anyone in the Tahoe area. Um, I'm going to have some national and international domestic violence resources as well to connect you with a trained advocate if needed. If you're staying in the relationship, it's important to recognize the pattern and the provocation that the abuser uses that leads you to react. Developing awareness around the manipulation tactics and the behaviors your partner is using to provoke you will not only help you understand that your partner is trying to elicit a reaction from you, but it will also help you recognize which behaviors are triggering and can lead you to being reactive in certain moments. Another tip is adopting coping skills that can help you mitigate your reactions. You can use mindfulness techniques that help create a sense of calm and ground you. Uh, And this may help cut down on that feeling of that constant tension or stress that may exacerbate a reaction during an argument or a time where your partner is trying to provoke a response. Lastly, leaning on your support system if you have one and if and when it's safe to do so, super, super critical. We know that isolation is key in abusive relationships. Like I said before in mine, um, like that was the first stepping stone to a lot of pretty awful things happening in that relationship. And many times abusers will try and control if and when or even how their partner communicates with others. For instance, they may be uh, monitoring your phone, right? And checking the call logs. Or maybe, you know, y'all live together, you have a security system in the home where essentially the partner can 
watch video back and listen to phone conversations you were having in the other room. Or maybe they're checking web browsers to see um, emails that are going out, right, or communications that way. So if it's safe for you to talk to a trusted person in your life or a therapist to discuss the dynamics of the relationship and what is going on, it can really help to have that objective insight into, yeah, what's happening in the relationship. And you can also have someone who can kind of go to bat for you, so to speak, especially if the abuser ends up trying to report any of the behaviors done in retaliation or tries to turn the victim's friends and family away from them. So this was a good amount in a short amount of time. So with all of that being said, um, we're going to do a little meditation together. And kind of on par with this topic, uh, this is going to be a pretty simple meditation, but we're going to be incorporating some mantras to ground ourselves. So if you are available to take on the meditation at this time, I encourage you to just get into a comfortable seated position. And while you're getting comfortable, I just want you to start taking what we call our meditative breath. It's just nice, deep breath in through your nose and exhaling through your mouth. And continue with this meditative breath. You can either find a point in the room to stare at or gently close your eyes. With every exhale, let your body sink a little bit deeper in your chair. Scan your body for any tension. Start relaxing every muscle in your body from the top of your head to your jaw, your shoulders, your back, down your legs, all the way to your toes. Just find a nice rhythm with your breathing. You can make your inhales the same length as your exhales. If any thoughts come up at this time, you can recognize them, but just let them pass by. Return to your breathing by focusing on breathing in and breathing out. And on your next inhale, repeat in your head, I am in control. On your next inhale, repeat, right now I am safe. On this next inhale, repeat, I know who I am.
And on your next inhale, repeat, I stand in my truth. On your next inhale, take a deep breath in, fill your lungs, and a big breath out. On your next inhale, deep breath in. We're going to hold it for a count of three. And a big breath out. Let it go. One last time on your next inhale, I want you to repeat, I am in control. And at this time, if you want to stay in this meditative space, feel free to pause, continue on with your breath work. But I invite you to return to your normal breathing. Take any stretch or adjustments you need. If you had your eyes closed, you can open them back up. And I hope that was a relaxing little moment of Zen for the listeners out there. Um, and again, kind of going back to some of the techniques earlier to kind of mitigate um, reactive abuse from happening. You know, maybe that's something you can add to your toolkits. Um, you can do that in the morning or whenever you do have some free time just to ground and center yourself. But I just want to say to anyone out there who may be experiencing reactive abuse, please know that you are not alone. Um, I, for one, stand with you. I've been in that situation before. Also, you do not deserve to be feeling like you have to defend or protect yourself in your relationship. And you absolutely don't deserve to feel upset with yourself for reacting out of fear or trauma. There are a lot of resources out there to give you support. Um, of course, I have linked several things down below, including domestic violence resources for any of our listeners in or outside the Tahoe area, so you can reach out to a trained advocate. I also have a lot of information about reactive abuse, so you can continue to learn more about this topic. I've also listed out um, those previous podcast episodes that I mentioned earlier, so you can go and take a listen um, to get some further information as well. But I just want to thank all of the listeners for tuning in for this difficult but important episode. And I hope you will join us for our next conversation.